This is Refigure with Chris and Reefa. A weekly dive into our favourite bits of culture, tech, and diversity. Welcome to Refigure, the podcast about arts, culture, tech, and diversity with me, Reefa. And me, Christopher. Hello. Hello. What are we talking about today, Chris? We went to the cinema and we saw Woman at War, new Icelandic film. Absolutely brilliant. We'll talk about that. Awesome. We live in a rumbly house. I'll also talk about Chernobyl, which is the Sky Atlantic TV show. I've watched the first two episodes of that. Reefer, you haven't watched that. It's not very tearful at all. I watched Wine Country. Okay, we could talk about Wine Country, maybe. It's a film that went straight to Netflix, which is the new straight-to-video. It's an Amy Puller, Tina Fey and all that gang comedy about a group of women who go into wine country. It's like a, a comedy about female friendship. And briefly, we'll also talk about um, Futalala King Masase's exhibition Iron Men, which is at the uh, Phoenix Gallery in Brighton. It's part of Brighton Festival. Uh, lately, I've been getting on my Netflix suggested to me these strange rom-coms that aren't really rom-coms. Nothing much happens in them. Um, a Amy Schumer film I watched when you were away one night where she gets knocked on the head and thinks that she's changed her body a bit like Big and that everybody thinks that she's gorgeous. And it's so bad, I don't know why I watched it, but I had to (laughs) watch the end where she does a big speech at the end about, we should all be not worrying about our bodies. And then I watched Wine Country, which was again a female-led film about five women that go off on holiday, but they're all thinking about a mystical thing that might happen to them and they secrets are supposed to come out but oh my god it's not breakfast club for adults at all it's got some really good people in it tina Fey's in it except she plays this gruff older woman who's supposed to be the wise one but that would have been better if it was lily tomlin and there's a sort of rogue bloke that comes in to help cook for them it's just not very funny But for some reason, I couldn't stop watching it. (laughs) Anyway, we don't normally do, like, shit reviews of films, but I thought everything that Amy... Sorry, Tina Fey does, I really, really want to be a lot funnier than it is, but it's kind of that bittersweet humour that she has in a lot of her films. Whereas Amy Poehler's Parks and Rec is a go-to forever, except for that last... the last episode that they did, that weird episode where they sort of came back to it. Anyway, what did you think about it, Chris, that I made you watch it? I thought it was fun. Some places really good and really fun, but in many places just it would have been a better film if they'd spent some money and hired some bigger hitting actors. Rashida Jones should have been in it, and so should Amy Schumer. No, I meant more like they should have had Alison Janney in there. Or There's a woman who plays a, quite a predatorial middle-aged lesbian who is like hitting on a much younger waiter, waitress, in a 
one of the places they go and her performance all the way through was consistently for me the funniest performance she's like she's just uh, lascivious and rude in a way that the others aren't it was a stereotype I don't know but it felt just funny just uh, the best scene for me was when they go to an art gallery and they meet what they're calling young people i.e. anyone in their 20s and one of them says do young people watch tv and one of them says yes I've seen it in films <laughs> Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. Let's talk about Chernobyl, Chris. I had previously encountered the writer Craig Mazin because of a podcast he hosts called Script Notes, which I've listened to for quite a while, which is about Hollywood script writing. This is the first thing I've encountered of his actual work. And it's slightly weird getting to know someone first just for the way they talk on a podcast and only afterwards getting to know their work. Chernobyl is down-to-earth, kind of realistic, gritty, grimy, often quite horrible docudrama. Although I don't know... Okay, so it's a drama recreation of what happened in the Soviet Union in the late 80s when the Chernobyl nuclear power station had a huge catastrophic meltdown. I wanted to say meltdown. Yeah, it did. It had a melt. It was new. Meltdown. Meltdown. Do you know, people don't know this, but you know Fukushima, the Japanese nuclear plant that happened in the tsunami? Meltdown. Had, had three meltdowns. At least. Yeah. They and covered it's huge. Some of it it's up. like as big as Chernobyl, but it's just. I know. That's why no one should go to Japan because I mean, got... they'll get radioactive like <laughs> Simpsons. No, that's really harsh. They've got better tech to plug it now. So. It's the kind of lead names in the cast are Emily Watson and Stellan Skarsgård and... Um, Stellan Skarsgård? Stellan Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård. You would completely know the face. You know who but Stellan like Skarsgård is. Stellan Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård. And... Um, Avengers. <clears throat> Jesse Buckley's in it as well, who's a kind of big new upcoming star. It's full of kind of ugly British character actors acting their socks off which is great. It's pretty taut, interesting writing. It gets a little bit on the nose about the Soviet kind of power structures and stuff. So it's definitely an American written piece because it heads a little bit too far into Death of Stalin type. Oh, well, it's not a comedy at all, but Death of Stalin type power plays where people are just absolutely hamstrung to act in a professional way because they're so terrified of what the party will think of them. Now, that is a truthful thing about the Soviet era, but I don't know if it was played too on the nose. I mean, there's one point where they're still covering up the extent of the accident and they have a big meeting around a conference table about what to do. And then a very elderly communist who was obviously there in the prime communist era back in the sort of 50s or something stands up leans into his walking stick and delivers a kind of almost lunatic speech about how they should seal down the town and not let anyone leave because it's a good thing and it almost crossed the line into being just ridiculous however that may have been what happened because we don't know so I'd, I'd love to know I'll seek out some sort of documentaries around the story just to find out a little bit more about what really happened it feels very authentic and it feels very horrible. The show reminds me a little bit of that TV drama about Hillsborough, because it's got that kind of 80s thing, and it's got a horrible disaster and a cover-up. So far, I've watched two episodes. I'm really enjoying it. 
you were right not to watch it. You would hate it, I think. I didn't realise it was a series. Yeah, it's oh a series. Oh my God, it's going to go on and on and it will die in the end. Funny thing happened, which was that the BBC on their website did loads of promo for it, even though it's a Sky Atlantic show. So like Will Gomputz, the idiot art reviewer at the BBC, gave it a big review. He gave it five stars. And then a couple of other people wrote about it in big articles on the BBC website. So I wonder if the BBC's got a deal where they're going to screen it later on. I wouldn't say I'm enjoying it in a fun, cheery way, but it's ex- it is excellent. It is excellent. Shall we talk about the film we went to see this week, Woman at War? It's an Icelandic film about a middle-aged woman who teaches people how to sing... She lives her life in Iceland, she cycles about, and in her spare time, she is an eco-warrior. And she goes out running through the wilderness, taking out electric pylons. She's not just an activist, she's being classed as a sort of terrorist. She's super fit, and the scenery is really beautiful, but it turns into a sort of mystery. She's on the run, basically, at one point. Um, because and they're getting closer and closer to finding out who she is that's the gist of it I really enjoyed it I thought I wasn't going to I didn't know what it was going to be about because she's a sort of I don't know if she's a famous Icelandic actress but certainly she came across a bit like a Helen Mirren type but not as hard face like prime suspect but she's certainly a woman on her own trying to save the world there's some really good twists and turns in this plot it's quite a small cast, but you see this expansive, beautiful... I'm into Iceland, but it's really stunning scenery. Um, and it's so tiny, but it's also really um, stark landscape. And the fact that Iceland is one of these really radical countries, which isn't part of the EU, it has its own laws where they've um, they've got their ancient um, sort of like ancient magic in the land itself that sort of connection i really loved like she sort of gets on the ground and sort of try she's literally trying to save the actual land the depth of it all is really beautiful she feels really connected to the land and then there's another sort of scenario where she's uh, connecting with somebody on the island and a co- and he says to her and it's really almost game of thrones like way you know who are your people and she goes, well, my grandfather was this bloke and my my dad was this bloke. And he's like, ah, oh, we're probably related. We're probably cousins. And that brings another kind of depth of connection to it and like a camaraderie that you get with island nations. And also what I liked about it was the smallness of it because you can only chase somebody around a little island for so long. <laughs> but also the fact that she lives this really ordinary life and... Um, you know, she's interesting enough, but she's the least likely person probably on the island to be an eco-terrorist. So because she's a middle-aged woman, is just invisible to people. One of the bits that I found really kind of... It was supposed to be funny, but it was not that funny to me. There's a tourist who happens to be a brown man with a big afro and he keeps getting arrested because he's foreign and he's brown and they think he must be the terrorist and that's hilarious but there's another another bit that's really brilliant is that um 
there's these musicians that appear from the beginning and they're sort of hilarious because they're doing the score and they're supposed to be in the background but then they actually become part of the story which is just brilliant it's like knocking down some other wall like the fifth wall I don't know like (laughs) another sixth wall it's really surreal and at one point there's a really sort of tense scene but the thing is, she sees the drummer that's playing the music. And because she sees him, she knows that something's going to happen. It's just bonkers. So I knew kind of that there was an ecological theme and I knew it was an Icelandic film. So I was kind of excited to see it anyway. And I slightly dragged you along. I'm, I was so relieved that you liked it because if it had gone the other way, uh, we'd have been sat there for two hours watching a really boring Icelandic film. You'd have been really annoyed. What it does is uses these offbeat tricks like you've just been describing to create a kind of quirky almost a comedy there are some really funny moments but then that means that when the impact on the bigger picture kind of uh, comes into the film it really sneaks up on you it's not like they punch you in the face with the drama or the import of what she's doing it's like they just let you work it out and I thought that was amazing the whole vibe of the film has a bit of that Nordic noir thing it feels like an episode of the bridge or something But um, if you've seen the Icelandic Nordic noir detective series Trapped, you will notice some familiar faces. And I quite like that a couple of the very major parts in Trapped in this film just literally walked on and said a sentence and then walked off again. They just had like very, very tiny roles. The guy she meets who might be her cousin, the actor is another kind of big character in Trapped. Anyway, that's not important. I loved it. It's easily my favourite film of the year that I've seen so far, although we haven't seen 8th grade yet, but that whole unfolding thing, again you described it, that thing of the earth being so tactile and tangible and there's one point that she hides literally under sods of turf as they're being driven somewhere, she uses it as a hiding thing, she's so grimy all the way through and it's so um, without going down a magic realism route, it had something of the magic of one of my very favourite 80s series Edge of Darkness, the detective series from the 80s, it has something about human connection with spirit and the earth being in the background and soaked through this film, even though it's basically a kind of modern story if that makes any sense So that's A Woman at War in your cinemas now Yeah, local art house cinemas or whatever I heard Jodie Foster's bought the rights to do an American version, which would be interesting. Oh, yeah, she loves the sort of running about business, doesn't she? Yeah, she's yeah. probably the right age group. She's supposed to be 40, 49 in this film. Yeah, cool. All right. We went to see Fotolala King Masase's photography exhibition, Iron Men. Uh, which is on at the Phoenix Gallery. It's a collection of photographs of iron workers in the city of Bamako, which is the capital of Mali. They're all black and white photos. It's very beautiful. It's very kind of, it's very hyper glamorized, high contrast stuff. There's a kind of coolness to them and almost a kind of, they're quite eroticized as well, male images. I absolutely loved it, but you didn't, did you? Malawian iron welders. <laughs> Photographs in black <clears> and white <throat> in a white room, posing in sunglasses and looking like gangsters with smoke billowing in front of them and sparks. How come you get to wear headphones and I don't? 
because I'm the person that's controlling how it sounds. I just, I didn't know what the point was. Each of the pictures had a... I'm not a photography fan, as every, I keep saying every week whenever <laughs> I go and see a photography exhibition. <clears throat> Unless they're really going to hit you in the face and there's a real reason for them. They were all seemed to be taken on the same day. They were all the same kind of pose and it wasn't really saying anything particularly. Okay, they're workers who are working without any kind of protection except for some sunglasses and they're all posing like gangsters, you know, straight to camera, posing with like sparks flying or smoke billowing. I didn't really get what what they were trying to say there. Each picture had a Malian proverb, which didn't seem to match at all. I don't know what it was for, this exhibition. It was a bit like observing people at work, and that I find really tedious. In this day and age, I mean, what are they trying to do? Document people making brass wheels. It would be more interesting if there was like an array of characters, but there was just like the same, it seemed to be the, almost the same person each time. And like a, it's a group of them, but it's just one day, one workshop, one bunch of people. It wasn't different kinds of people doing different kinds of work. Iron Men, I don't know, what, what was the point, Chris? I don't know, I think you switched off really quickly and then missed that it didn't feel like that to me. And maybe you're right, maybe he did just go to one workshop, but what it felt to me like was there were a lot of different people in different workshops, but it photographed in a similar way and photographed, they're all iron workers, there so they're, no... all, they're all smelters and, well, I don't know, all the various words. But they were doing lots of different things. Then maybe put some of the work out. I mean, like, let's see some f- physical stuff as well, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Just I... something different. Okay, just well, I disagree. For me, it was like... photos. It had... It just felt like... Um, it universalised it, and it took a very specific... What? Well, it took a very specific trade that we never think about in a very specific place that we never think about, and it photographed it in a way that made them look like rock stars or superheroes. It was steampunk, it was sexy, it was sweaty and gory and full of sparks of light, and I really liked it. Honestly, they were all the same size. There was just like no nothing of interest. That's there. fine. That's fine. You could have just had one photo <laughs> chucked into any exhibition. I tell you what, it wasn't for me. It clearly wasn't for you, was it? I think we should make you see much more photographs. So, so if you're curious to see um, Iron Men, it's at the Phoenix Gallery in Brighton. It runs till the 26th of May. It's part of Brighton Festival. It's open Wednesday to Sundays from 11am to 5pm. <laughs> You're so cross I tell you what, Phoenix has got an ace, ace cafe these days. But I'm not telling you all of that because you might go and spoil it and make it all popular. If it fills up much further, it's going to ruin it, isn't it? It's yeah. very good. What are you reading for? What are you reading for? What are you reading for, Reefer? What are you reading, Reefer? So I, on a whim, we went to a magazine in Brighton, which is... On a whim. On a whim. Um, and I bought the latest edition of Flow magazine, which says it is celebrating creativity, imperfection and life's little pleasures. And it's a publication from the Netherlands that has a huge following of people who like to do craft and drawing and illustration. And 
um, designers and influencers really like it and it comes with like little workbooks and it's really fun sort of like got lots of little dividers in it but I really have struggled with it because in the UK and the States all publications are really trying hard with their diversity they're making sure they have journalists from different backgrounds global journalists from you know all different backgrounds and um, making sure they have black models and brown models in there and this is really really white so every article and i'm just flicking through even an article about bollywood backdrops the back cloths that have been used by indian photo studios for more than a century they're disappearing so on an australian based bloke called philip goes off to um take photos of the people that run these studios who are all brown men so that seemed a bit weird to me um there's an article by a white south african lady talking about the problem with the prejudice that black nannies get in south africa articles written by a white woman yeah oh dear and there's literally like some fun stuff in here don't get me wrong you know but it's sort of putting me off, like it feels really old-fashioned because there's an article, for example, of vintage photos of women in trees, okay, which is quite funny. A German photo enthusiast has been collecting vintage pictures of women in trees over 30 years. Now, women in trees is a thing, okay, maybe, that's interesting. Oh, it's and they're just all lovely white ladies who have um, some privilege. So... It's a really, really white privilege magazine that I've bought back. <laughs> but it's got some nice stickers in it. And, um, yeah, it's kind of, maybe it's slightly triggering me. There is a picture of a black woman in here. And she's in the headline is Cape Town Nanny. And the headline says, What stories from around the world are we not hearing about on the TV or the news? In this series, correspondents write about their experiences in the countries they live. Now, I'm not saying this white South African lady hasn't got a valid story to tell. I'm just saying they could have balanced it out a bit with actually letting the black nannies speak in it. Having surrounded myself with lots of different publications and the womankind magazine I'm just thrilled to bits with and tape etc has come through the door with Frank Bowling on the front cover an old Guyanese man I mean honestly yes 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 I'm gonna probably carry on trying to read it but it is a bit like the world is dying and there's stories about going in a camper van around Europe what are you reading <laughs> and on that bombshell maybe it's poetry Someone I've known a little bit for a long time is the terrific writer N.J. Stallard. Her CV includes a stint as editor of Time Out Beirut, and she also edited the Brown Book. So she spent a lot What's of time. The Brown Book. It's a glossy magazine based in the Middle East, and she spent a lot of time in the Middle East, in the Middle East, uh, writing, and then only recently came back to the UK. I just think she's a terrific writer. She recently won the Aleph Prize, which is a short story prize. And one of the bits of the prize is that the Aleph publishes a kind of limited edition pamphlet of the winning story. And so I ordered it. Um, it's a story called The White Cat. And it's pretty brilliant short story about a woman and a white cat. Then we were in the magazine shop where you made your misguided purchase the other day. And I noticed that in the... You know, now I've slagged off flow, I'm going to get paper lovers everywhere having a go at me. 
just fine. I I'm think just you're not very thinking... good at understanding the why of some things, you know. Um, and when we were fishing around for magazines in that shop, I noticed that she had three or four poems published in the current issue of the White Review. A White so, Review? Yeah, so... Is that all white people? There's, there's loads of white. Now that you've talked about flow, <laughs> suddenly... Tell anyway, us about the story, please. Anyway, it's a... White news, white supremacy, white snow, white, white, whiter than white, white Christmas... I'm not going to tell you much about the story because it's just a short story, so almost even telling you anything about the context is a spoiler. But it's a lovely short story. Also, it was published in a very small limited edition pamphlet, so you can't necessarily get hold of it. But I would get you to seek out NJ Stallard and follow her writing because she's brilliant. She's written a lot of essays as well, non-fiction, investigative stuff, and she writes poetry and she writes fiction. And she's a, a name to look out for in the future. Nice. I think that's it. I think that is it. I think I should say that I've got Sebado tickets. Oh, yeah. They're coming to Brighton. They're playing Patterns in Uh, September. September 28th. 28th of September, they're playing Patterns. Can't wait. It's going to be brilliant. Last time we saw Sebado, they were at some other club on the seafront, weren't they? I can't remember last time I saw Sebado. Oh, maybe it wasn't you. You weren't there. I went with um, a whole bunch of other people. Who came down from London to see them? Funnily enough, I've actually avoided seeing Sebado for a long, long time, like decades, because one of my favourite gigs that I ever went to in 1994 was a Sebado gig in Sheffield at the Leadmill, and they were that's one of the sort of formative gigs of my adult life and so for years they also did one of the worst or most troubling gigs that festival set at Reading just after Kurt Cobain died and Evan Dando and Courtney Love jumped on the stage and freaked out Lou Barlow in the middle of the gig and he wasn't able to continue the gig and half of the set was just the other two from Sebado trying to play a kind of duo set without him while he either was off stage but or running s- around the stage. It was crazy. But we've seen Lou Barlow play a number of times with Dinosaur Junior, so yeah, we'll be fine. Oh, it'll be great. It's, it'll be totally brilliant. Do you have anything to plug? I've got a workshop coming, Clarity and Purpose. It's on June the 12th. Tickets are on Eventbrite. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome. I have something else to tell you and I've forgotten now. I've got tickets for something else. If you're doing Brighton Fringe Festival and you're interested in conventional theatre, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, I mean just normal theatre that isn't something else. Sitting in a chair. Like actually sitting in a chair and watching a play. You know, like plays. Oh my God. There's a fantastic play. A dear friend of mine, Tim, is a pretty celebrated playwright. He's got a play called After Today coming to the Rialto Theatre. It's from the 24th to the 27th of May. What, tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. I actually took me three seconds to work out what the fuck you were talking about. <laughs> oh, I see. After t- after today is the story of Bill Grundy and what happened to his career after the Sex Pistols incident where they swore on his TV show. And uh, it's got Alex D in it, starring as Bill Grundy, who actor types will know as a brilliant character actor. So it's going to be great. Directed by Doug Kirby. That's uh, after today. I'll probably keep plugging it. Are we going to be away next week? Are we going to be... No, so we'll do another podcast before we go away. Oh yeah, some future episodes of the podcast are going to come from sexy, exciting places. Which should be fun. Yay! On Facebook, you can talk to us. It's facebook.com slash refigureuk. No. Refigurepod. Correct. 
On Facebook, it's Refigure Pod. On Instagram, it's Refigure UK. And on Twitter, which is new, we've got a Twitter account, which is also Refigure Pod. Refigure Pod. P-O-D. Thank you so much for listening. We love having you along. Sorry there wasn't any biscuits this week. See you next time. Take care. Should we do some biscuits next time? Yeah. Don't fly up.